This week in confessional, I had a, a fine young woman. She was talking about being a cunning linguist and also about eating this ghost hamburger. Now, the problem here is the Eucharist, which is part of our sacrament. It's not only a song by him and an album by the band from Virginia, Lamb of God, and we can get into that in a moment. But in the meantime, give me an amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. amen. Can amen. I get a hallelujah from all y'all? Give it up. Hallelujah. 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 Say it, preacher. Hallelujah. Say it. Sing it. Yeah. Preacher. Say amen. it. This is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Blitzmo over here. Just stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble from Fire of Guns N' Roses. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Wynn of the Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Gieske from Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. If everybody was out, this is John Bush. And you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on DH1 Classic. Hey, this is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Dam. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Ice Earth. Hey, this is Rex Brown from Kill Devil Hill. Hi, this is Tom Rana Pete, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Vinny from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 79 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor M. Ruiz. 
And we are here once again with another great interview. I have to say this is one of the funnest interviews I've ever conducted. This is with John Oliva, the former lead singer of Sabotage. Obviously, he's involved in Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And he just recently released his first solo album called Oliva. Uh, it's a real musical journey because it's all over the place. A little bit of sabotage here. Some stuff that may sound more, I don't know, you could compare it to maybe The Who or Pink Floyd. Or maybe even some of the progressive stuff that Genesis did at the beginning of the 70s. It's a really, really interesting album. At least I enjoyed it. And the interview was great. It was a blast. Uh, I actually have this recorded in video as well, in a video format. I may actually release that at some point, uh, but the interview is exactly the same. It all depends on how much work it'll take to get it all together. I have to talk to my good friend, Mark Striegel, from Talking Metal, and of course Talking Metal Digital. I have to talk to him to see what options I have with that interview. Anyway... Uh, yeah, so we did the whole Dusty Rhodes Preacher thing at the beginning again. Uh, we got some positive feedback regarding that. A bunch of people telling me that it was funny, so, eh, we're giving it another shot. Maybe the topic is a little bit more... There was really no topic the last time around. It's just pretty much just introing, you know, that Mars Attacks is finally, officially part of Talking Metal Digital. Talking Metal Digital is... A site, it is a stream, it is a way of life, damn it. <laughs> you can go to talkingmetal.com and find out more about Talking Metal Digital. You can also go to the widget on both talkingmetal.com, or actually, no, that it's down on talkingmetal.com, my bad. You can go to my site, um, marsattacksradio.com, or you can just go to, if you have a smartphone app, for Live 365, just search Mars, Mars Attacks Digital. Yeah, okay. Um, Talking Metal Digital, excuse me. You can search that, or you could just go to live365.com forward slash Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L, one, two, three, and you'll find the stream that way. We try to update the music as often as possible, something that I will be doing after finishing this episode will be including a sabotage track and perhaps something off of John Oliva's album and um, hopefully some other tracks as well. I just have to get, you know, sort of in the rhythm there to continuously update it on a weekly basis. But uh, yeah, have a lot of fun working with the stream and doing the live shows. We're going to be doing the live shows now. Every other week. And every now and then I'll do a Mars Attacks live show. I may actually do one tonight. We'll see. And I have a blast doing these with Mark. Uh, Mark Striegel of Talking Metal. They are Talking Metal Live when I do them with Mark. You can check a lot of these out. Not only do I post them to the Mars Attacks stream, but also you can subscribe to Talking Metal. And you'll hear me on their episodes from time to time. Uh, I really love doing these shows with Mark, and uh, hopefully, you know, we get back into the rhythm after some time off and do these every other week. So check those out. We usually do them Friday nights from 9 p.m. Eastern, that's 6 p.m. Pacific, all the way up to, we do about an hour. So check that out. 
And, uh, you know, whenever I do the shows and I have someone else on, it's never an hour. It's way too long. I mean, I enjoy to talk too often. And it happens when you work from home. You, you get to talk to people, but it's not the same type of banter interaction that I get to have with, with the podcast or with these shows. So speaking of banter and interaction, if you want to drop us a line, send us an email to input at marsattacksradio.com. Have an interesting email that we received from Tom. Tom is from Florida. Tom checks in and says, Hey, Victor, I wish I would have started listening to Mars Attacks sooner. Uh, I found out about Mars Attacks due to your shows that you do with Mark Striegel. Loving them and loving the classic album series. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Thanks a lot, Tom, for checking in and sending us that feedback. It's always fun when you guys send us in your feedback. You can also follow us on Facebook, Facebook forward slash or Facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio.com. On Twitter, Mars Aries 2005. Uh, you can check us out there as well. You could send us comments via either one of the sites as well. And uh, what else? Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. You know, we had someone complain to Mark Striegel, actually, a while back about Talking Metal not being on um, on something that's friendly for the, <laughs> for the Android. My alarm is going off in the background on my phone. But, uh, yeah, anyway... <laughs> um, but it turns out Talking Metal has been on Stitcher all along. We're on Stitcher as well. So if you are listening to us on the website on MarsAttacksRadio.com, you can actually subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. And you can keep up to date. All you do is subscribe and have the episodes automatically download to your you know, PC or Mac. Or you can listen to them right there off of your smartphone or tablet. So there are plenty of ways to keep in touch and just, you know, listen to new episodes of what we have going on. Uh, What else do we have going on? We have a bunch of other cool interviews coming up. uh, Contemplating possibly posting all of the albums that will be featured in the Classic Albums column. Um, I may do it in a sort of a sneaky fashion. I may do it via our Amazon store. If you actually go to the Mars Attacks Radio website and you have the you have the button to donate, which is a PayPal donation. So anything that you want to donate to us is great. You know, we're not holding a gun to anyone's head, but every little bit counts. If you could send us a buck, that's cool. If you could send us more than that, that would be awesome as well. But we also have other options where you could help us out. Underneath the donate button there on the right-hand side, and this is under the Live 365 player, you'll see affiliate stores, and you'll also see Amazon store. With the affiliate stores, you'll find links to a bunch of different uh, stores that give us a small kickback for you, the listener, going to their site via our links and purchasing something. Now, it doesn't cost anything additional for you guys, but it gives us, you know, we're more or less the person giving them the lead, and 
since they're making the sale, they're giving us a small portion of that sale. So, you know, help us out by purchasing something that way. And with the Amazon store, if you check it out, with every episode, we have links to not only iTunes for the music that you hear during the episodes, but also to uh, Amazon as well. And we have portions of the store divided up by episode. So if you happen to check out the store at a later date and, you know, you remember maybe the episode number, but, you know, don't remember the track that you were interested in, you could always go there and you'll see the various albums that um, that, that were featured during an episode. So you could buy an album that way or... You could always search for the MP3 on Amazon. I mean, we're not greedy. <laughs> Buy it on iTunes or Amazon. You know, whatever whatever works best for you. You know, again, we're not holding a gun to anyone's head, but if you are going to purchase something, help a brother out. So, we heard a little bit of scorpions there in the background from my phone, from my iPhone there. Let's get into that track by scorpions. It is 321. It is off of the... Humanity Zero album, which came out a few years back, which I absolutely think is a great album. I'm not too keen on the last two releases that they put out, uh, only because, I don't know, they're they're a little maybe poppier, perhaps, and this has, you know, some, like, grooving hard rock that I think is absolutely cool. Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins actually appears on one of the tracks, and I said... Humanity Zero or something like that. It's Humanity Hour One. And it came out in 2007. So let's check that track out now. It is called 321 by Scorpions.
So my scorpion story for you. My wife and I, at that time we were dating, were sitting in Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, waiting for our flight to Bilbao, Spain. And we're coming back from the U.S. And I'm tired as hell. I never sleep on airplanes, you know. After 9-11, after witnessing 9-11, it is almost impossible for me to sleep. Nowadays, it's actually a lot better, but for a long time, and this was maybe, I don't know, this was maybe 05 or, or something like that. And, you know, I don't know. I hadn't slept. I hadn't slept the night before. I was tired as shit. And I'm sitting there, you know, looking up at everyone coming down the escalator. And I'm like, wow, that dude looks exactly like Rudolf Schenker. Holy shit, that looks like Matthias Yabs. That looks like... That's the fucking Scorpions. <laughs> so, it was unbelievable. I say to my wife, that's the Scorpions coming down the stairs. No, it can't be. Yes, it is. They're going... There was a flight to... Um, name of the city in Spanish is pronounced Zaragoza. Uh, in English, Saragoza, some people say. The Brits changed the Z to an S. So, there you go. Anyway... So, yeah, so the last one coming down is Rich Kotak. And my wife flashes the devil horns, and he flashes them back at her. So it was cool, you know. Uh, Essentially what took place is they were flying to the old Metalway Festival here in Spain. And uh, they were, you know, last call, basically. I guess they don't get into the area where, you know, the plebeians are up until they need to, I guess, to hold from people haggling them for autographs or whatever before they fly. But uh, it's interesting seeing the scorpions go through customs. Wow. So any ideas that you had about, you know, what they look like or what they didn't look like uh, was very interesting to say the least. I still have a vivid account in my mind. I still love those guys to death, still love a lot of their music. There will be one of their albums featured in the Classic Albums column because I do think that they're one of the most important bands ever to come out of Europe, out of Germany, and just to you know put out some great killer albums. They did get off track there for a while, but uh, I do think that you know for a few releases there in the last 10 years, they, they have done some really amazing work. So, unfortunately, with a band like Scorpions, you know, you become so popular, especially with them, with Winds of Change or Rocky Like a Hurricane, where you're still looking for that, you know, that one last hit. I think this happens to Motley Crue as well, where, you know, we're looking for just one last, you know, twist of the screw to see if we could get one last thing before saying goodbye. And honestly... If the Scorpions were to sit down and write an album like Blackout again, and it doesn't have to sound exactly like Blackout, you know, just some heavy, hard rock, you know, some great riffs, some great soloing, some great melodies, people would eat that shit up and and buy it. You know, the diehards would absolutely love it. And with Motley Crue, it's the same thing. You know, they could tell me till they're blue in the face when another album comes out. Oh, well, this is a cross between Dr. Feelgood and Shout at the Devil. Yeah, nice try. You know, you've done that for like four straight albums. No, it doesn't, you know. Just say, you know, it's 
Saints of Los Angeles. Hey, you know, this is a modern rock album. You know, we're trying to get out there. We're trying to sort of compete with what's going on now. And that's it. This is Motley Crue's modern hard rock release. And that would be more honest than saying, oh, it's a combination between half of, you know, Too Fast for Love, a quarter of, you know, Girls, Girls, Girls. And Dude, no, your diehard fans are going to listen to this and say, <laughs> you know, it sounds nothing like that. The, the, my other gripe with the band is the whole Las Vegas residency. We're going to do something really special. All right, so you have a lot of fucking, you know, cool lighting and, and you know, pyro going off and stuff. And all right, that's cool. But if you're playing this same damn set list that you have for the past 10 years, come on. You know, especially with something out in Vegas... I'll say this again. The only band, in my opinion, to do this right was Def Leppard. And they're actually going to put out Viva Hysteria now. And they actually did an hour of tracks that they haven't played in the longest time. Things that came out before Hysteria. Stuff that the fans have actually been begging for for years. And for, you know, everyone bitching about, you know, well, Joe Elliott doesn't sound good anymore. They don't play this. They don't play that. They delivered, you know, and people that I've listened to or, you know, that I've come in contact with that have actually been out to the shows absolutely loved them. So to my delight, they released a track for free, which is a track that I had on bootleg for years. My late best friend, John Kakaro. Def Leppard was his favorite band. He had their, you know, their their biography or whatever. That thing was falling apart from all the times that he had read the damn thing. He loved every aspect of Def Leppard. And in there it explains, you know, their early songs, you know, things that were unreleased. Uh, you know, uh, shit, we borrowed, you know, when when we were teenagers... You know, our band, our band Sonic Fusion, <laughs> uh, we um, we borrowed from Def Leppard, of course. You know, it was a big influence to them, to, to him and his brother, who was our bass player. But, um, you know, we had a song called Fractured, Fractured Love, w- which is basically comes from the fact that they had a song called Fractured Love. And we figured, hey, it would never be released. And, you know... Much to our chagrin, or much to my friend's delight, there you go, Fractured Love on Retroactive. They re-recorded it. So, he loved Def Leppard. And one of the tracks that he always talked about was one called Good Morning Freedom, which wasn't released on anything up until now. And this was a free download about a week ago. So let's play a little snippet of Good Morning Freedom by Def Leppard, which will be coming off of the upcoming Viva Hysteria album and DVD set.
and you're listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast. Here's your host, Victor. Come get your rocks off. A little bit of coincidence there. I figured, hey, we played some Def Leppard. We might as well use that intro using Def Leppard in the background there. What else? Had a friend of mine posting a bunch of videos on Facebook. He posted... He posted Winger. He posted uh, Rat. He posted a bunch of different things. And, of course... You know, people were were just poo-pooing everything that he was saying because it wasn't true metal, man. And it was funny because during the Classic Albums series, uh, Gene Hoagland, who actually cops to lending his symbols to not only Great White for their first album, whose bass player, Lauren Black, just passed away, um, but also to Slayer for their first EP, but, you know, he, Gene Hoagland, one of the things that he says is he sort of makes fun of all these people talking about how bands are true or, or cult metal and this and that. You know, if there's someone who's played with, you know, <laughs> heavy bands, played with Testament, with Dark Angel, with Strapping Young Lad, with Death, you know, if anyone has anything to say about extreme metal, it's Gene Hoagland. So if he's making fun of these idiots that, you know, can't sit back and accept, you know, different things of metal, and Gene is the first one to go out and say, and you'll hear it during, you know, the album series, if he doesn't like something, he'll say, oh, this is poser junk, or, you know, these guys are this, or these guys are that. He'll, you know, lay it out there on the line. But, um, you know, it was... Just, just interesting. And here in Spain, it's it's very strange because classic metal is almost you know shunned by the younger kids. And one of the things that someone was saying was how, you know, how they couldn't stand Motley Crue. And the point that I was trying to get across, you know, you may not like Motley Crue, but you know they influenced a hell of a lot of bands. And this person was in denial, and I. You know, mentioned that um, Metal Mike from Halford's band had said that Shout at the Devil was one of the most influential albums when it comes to black metal due to the song structure, the way the songs progressed, things of that nature. So I, I found it very, very funny that, you know, the, these people are poo-pooing a band you know, basically because they don't understand them or they haven't given them the time of day or whatnot. And one of my points was, you know, Motley Crue has gone as far as influencing, you know, Judas Priest. And, you know, they were sort of in denial. Well, you know, no, you know, how, how can you say that, you know, they influenced Priest? I go, fucking listen to, you know, Turbo, for God's sakes. You know, Turbo is Judas Priest trying to hop on that California sound bandwagon. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, so many other bands did it. Hell, I'll even go as far as to say that Maiden, somewhere in time, the way that the guitars sound, the way that they're not so much tuned, but the just their overall sound, it's almost like, 
like Eddie Van Halen's Brown sound. You know, if you really listen to it, pay attention to the way that they sound. It sounds very Van Halen-y in the way that, that those guitars come across. So, for this person, who I don't even know who the hell they are, that's one of my problems is I start to pick musical fights with people and then I'll get pissed off for no stupid reason where I should have just sort of, you know, said fuck it and moved on. But, you know, that sort of happens. But anyway, let's play a little All Fired Up. Not by Fastway, but by Judas Priest coming off of Turbo. portion of the episode we like to get in some cool tracks so you guys know you know what I'm checking out or what I'm listening to or just tracks that I think are cool maybe you've heard them maybe you haven't maybe you want to revisit them just remember to check out the links to iTunes or Amazon and help us out and support the bands that you love buy their music even if it's just a track buy it it's something (laughs) it's better than nothing Anyway, we're going to get into the interview with John Oliva. But before that, let's jump into a track off of Raise the Curtain. Name of this track is Big Brother by Oliva. <laughs>
I have a, a few questions for you here. It was funny. I was trying to uh, uh, spread things out, and then all of a sudden I, I started listening to the album, and almost all the questions are focused on the new album. Yeah. So, That's awesome. um, so right off the bat, the million-dollar question, why a solo album now? Well, I mean, I know, uh, when Matt passed away, it was uh, a very tough period for for us and I wanted to get away from things and just think things over you know it's, it's hard when you lose somebody close like that and uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do so um, I started coming down to Dan's house the guy who plays on the album and, and wrote a lot of this stuff on the album with me and you know he was also close to, to Matt and we just started hanging out and stuff and then it just we just started working together I mean he just started he played me some stuff that he had and I thought it was really good and you know I brought the last, last rips of Chris's down and we put them together and I just figured you know this if I'm gonna do this this is the time to do it and that's really how it all came about was just out of the thing of just not wanting to think about replacing Matt and worrying about all that, but I still knew I needed to do something, and, um, you know, right. I had the last stuff of Chris's, and I just figured, you know, I'm not 25 anymore, so let's do it now before, I don't want to do it with a cane, or a wheelchair, right. so <laughs> I do it now. Cool, and the funny thing is, about a year ago, uh, you were celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Hall of the Mountain King, but yeah. this material is on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, it, I mean, if you if you listen to it, it doesn't, you know, it isn't all that different from what you've done all over the years. But at the same time, it is different. It's very. It, a lot of the reason it being is, I think, Dan's music, bringing it, bringing his music in and mixing it with mine, and also the stuff of Chris's that we had to work with was very old stuff. It was the first stuff we ever wrote together. So. You know, a lot of the riffs, like you know, the Father Time song and stuff. That was, you know, those these were songs that we were that we basically put had the riffs for when we, he was like fourteen, fifteen years old. So, I think that mainly was what that and adding Dan's weird, weird organ music into everything and just the combination. It was just it just worked for some reason. And uh, you know, we wrote like sixty songs in like two months. Wow. You know. Uh, so it worked out good, and uh, yeah, it's very different, but you know what? Different is good once in a while. You know, it breaks yeah. up the monotony of everything. Uh, I agree with you 100%. And it's funny because um, you're saying that it's 60 songs, so obviously the entire process was, was very organic. There wasn't like a conscious effort that you wanted, you know, I'm going to write this, this, and this. It just sort of came out, it seems like. He had tons of, he had stuff, because he, you know, he, he's a little bit older than I am. Well, actually, he's like 100 years older than I am. <laughs> but he had been doing stuff, he had been writing on his own. He wasn't really a band guy, like, you know, um, he's never done an album before or nothing, and He's jammed with people, but he was never a full-time band guy. So he had accumulated like probably a hundred years worth of uh, worth of riffs and things that he had in pieces. Some full songs, but not complete. Some just riffs that he didn't know what to do with. And you know, and then I also had a ton of stuff that I had that was very different. You know, that wasn't sabotage or wasn't JOP or wasn't TSO. It was just. Stuff like more from my early influences, Beatleish stuff and bluesy stuff, or 
you know, and just the combination, it just worked. And we just started knocking them out. And we actually made it a competition. You know, it was like when I left his house, he was not supposed to be allowed to write anything until the next day. And I would show up the next thing and go like, well, I got three new songs. What are we going to do? I'm like, you bastard. I told you not to write any. And it just kept going and going and going. And finally, I think we just wrote ourselves out after about 60 songs. So we got enough for about 90 solo albums right now. I'll be Excellent. releasing the last one when I'm like 87, you know. <laughs> then you will need the cane in the wheelchair. That's what I'm going to call it, John Oliva, cane in wheelchair. <laughs> How did you hook up with Dan? Well, he, uh, he, I met him through uh, a criminal and uh, <laughs> that ripped us off. He actually, first he ripped me off, then he ripped off Dan. But unfortunately, he got Dan for about 30 grand, and I got out of it at only 7,900. But he is this guy that we both knew, and he brought. He called me and said, "Oh, I got this friend. You, you know, you should check out. He plays, you know, organ. Because I love organ and stuff. He's really good." And that's I met him like that. It was like a long time ago. What? How long? Long ago? Fifteen long, glorious years ago. But uh, you know, I knew him, so I knew him for a few years. But we didn't really do anything writing-wise until a few years ago couple years ago when we really started like working together i was like this because he reminds me a lot of my brother except he doesn't play guitar he plays organ but he's very similar in the way he writes and the way chris used to write chris chris would write a great riff like hall the mountain king and then i'd go okay well where's the singing and he'd go well that's your fucking job man you figure out where to <laughs> sing you better write something you know so it's the same kind of thing so it was weird but uh he's, he's a good he's a nice old man <laughs> being that it was going to be a solo album did you feel you know what we're just going to throw everything out there and take as many chances as possible being that you know obviously it didn't have the sabotage or, or any of the other uh, bands that you mentioned uh, any of those monikers attached to the music yeah you know that's a very good question I don't think we I don't think I really thought about it that much I just I just liked what we were doing I knew it was different and I think right. for a while I didn't really know what I was going to do I think for a while I was saying, well, I could push this song over for maybe use this for TSO or maybe this for that. But it then started when we started really working the songs out, it started to become apparent that it was going to be had to be a solo album. Because like you said, you know, with a solo album, I can I, you know, there's no rules there. There's no box that you're working in. It's just whatever. Whatever comes, you know, whatever tickles your fancy, you're going to go for. Right. And that's what we did with this. Is like I wanted it to be a little bit of everything, you know. Okay. And was there anything that you purposely wanted to set out to do different? You know, once you got to the studio, did you say, you know what, I've always wanted to try this, but yeah. I felt. Yeah, yes, definitely. We used it. A lot of it was we used a lot of vintage equipment. You know, we used. Uh, you know, we used I used box amplifiers, old old AC thirty box amplifiers that like the Beatles used in like nineteen sixty five and stuff. Um, you got a lot of vintage guitars and stuff. Not a lot of processing going on. You know, we used real Hammond organ. We used real horn players. You know, so I think that adds a lot to the album. The fact that it's not that it's all real instruments. You know, and classic right. instruments with. You know that you don't have to plug through like a you know a bunch of effects and things. I didn't I didn't want to go down that road. So I think that adds to the sound of the album. The fact that it is all done through old old style tube amplifiers, so the guitars sound nice and fat and warm. 
Um, they're not over distorted and, and small sounding like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the speed metal stuff you hear. Those sounds are so compressed because they're playing so fast. It's the only way you'd be able to understand what they're playing. But the actual sound right. of the guitar is terrible, you know, yeah. to, in my opinion. I mean, it just sounds so small, you know. So I think that's a lot of it. The fact that we use those, those, those that old gear and, you know, old tube mics and uh, for vocals, we used, you know, the old uh, U47s and stuff. And it was, you know, it was like almost like being back at the record plant in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> Perish the thought. <clears throat> That's interesting because a lot of groups are actually migrating back to doing a lot of that stuff. They stole I, it all I do from me, Victor. All right, you better tell them <laughs> how to get them all too. Next time Dustin hooks me up with Udo, you you let him know that uh, th that I'll mention that to him. I tried to talk to him once a long time ago, but I couldn't understand what he was saying to me. I don't know if I was drunk or he was drunk, or maybe we both were. But it wasn't a very uh, prolific conversation. It kind of went nowhere. It's kind of like, all right, bye. <laughs> we touched on Chris a bunch. How much pressure did you feel to get these his last pieces of music out there? Was it something that you sort of had on your shoulders saying, you know what, I want to get this out there, but it just isn't right yet? No, it's it was the sense it, I got after Matt passed away. I I suddenly came over a sense of urgency, you know, because I'm like, you know, <clears throat> Matt was ten years younger than me, so I'm like, right. you know, and I had these rat, rat, and I think the sense of urgency was like, you know what, I'm before something happens to me, I got to make sure I get this stuff out, you know, because uh, and I guess that was you know kind of weird thinking that way, but after the fact after you just lose a guy you can't help but think that way so right and i think that's what what sparked that whole thing i you know i went through all the stuff and i've used everything except these last four or five little pieces that we had and i just had that sense of urgency like you know I, the time to do this is now man you know stop fucking around get off your ass and and you know stop feeling sorry for yourself and everything else and get back to work and take care of your brother's music like you promised you would and and that's really how it all came about, really. And you mentioned that a lot of these, or the what was left, were a lot of the earliest riffs that you had written with Chris. Right. How complete were these pieces of music? Were they just riffs, or were they completed songs? Any were, of that? Well, they were basically riffs and insults. Um, <laughs> what he would do is he would. I'll give you an example. The father, the song "Father Time." I think it's the third song on the CD. The riff that opens that song is the second riff Chris ever wrote. The first riff okay. he wrote sucked. It was ter it was a rip off of smoke on the <laughs> it was like smoke on the water backwards. I was like, Chris, this sucks. He goes like, Well, oh, I'll try another one. And then the next day he come back and he started playing that riff. He's like fourteen years old. Right. So, but that's all we really had. On these tapes I had maybe twenty seconds of of something here, 30 seconds here, you know, a little blurb, 10 seconds here, a little flourish here and there. So it was very scattered and very difficult. I mean, I think that's one the main reason the album took so long to do was because taking what the stuff I had, which was limited, and making it into songs and bring, having to write around it and bring his riffs back into the song. And, you know, that was very difficult. You know, it took a long, long time and it was... Uh, you know, it was very nerve-wracking for a while. I mean, we must have recorded 
20, 30 versions of every song in a demo format, trying different arrangements and different tunings and how can we make Chris's riff come back into the song after we got out of it? You know, all that stuff was like, you know, very intense. Okay. And the cover jumped out at me right away because obviously you have the classic portrait there of the grand piano and Chris's Charvel. Right. Did you have, you know, an idea that you were working with right off the bat that you wanted someone to present to you or did someone just, you know, present this idea to you? Well, it was, believe it or not, it was my idea. The whole design of the cover was my idea. I didn't do the, the artwork, but I right. came up, I thought about what I wanted, and I, uh, Thomas, who's the artist for uh, AFM, I sent him a really bad sketch. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> terrible. I mean, my guitar looked like a toothpick or something. You know, and, but I, it was enough for him to understand. You know, I wanted the red curtains, and I wanted the, the curtains to be like they were alive, and I wanted the guitar, obviously, and the piano. And then the subliminal cross that not a lot of people have picked out yet, but some have. Right. And um, that's with the piano keys crossing the microphone stand. It makes the, the cross. And then the light right. Light from the top is supposedly the light from heaven coming down and blah. And uh, it was the first album cover I ever really designed, and I'm very fond of it. I like. I think that he did a, Thomas did an unbelievable job on it. Cool. As far as the other players on the album, uh, can you tell us why you chose to work with them? Because they were free. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Victor, you got to keep a sense of humor about this shit. So, well, no, Dan, Danny obviously, um, Danny obviously, I knew was going to play on the album because I, I can't really play organ. I know what I want to hear, and he just plays organ the way I like it. And uh, plus, he wrote he wrote with me on a lot of the songs. So, uh, and it was him. And then, uh, Chris Kinder played drums on a lot of the stuff because I, I kind of lost my knack for drumming. So I played okay. drums on all the easy songs and I gave Kinder all the hard shit to play. So. <laughs> uh, but everything else, I basically, we had a, a friend of ours from Transylvania. He's my doctor actually from Transylvania. Only I would have a doctor from Transylvania. Right. And he plays a little guitar, and he did some bombs for me in one of the songs, I think Armageddon. He came in, and he did some cool dive bombs because he has a whammy bar, and I don't play with a whammy bar, so I needed right. some bombs. And I just he's a really good, dear friend. And, I, you know, the only people that play on are really people who are really close to me, like, you know, Danny and Chris Kinder and his friend Lorian is his name. And uh, that's really it. I did everything else, though. I was uh, pretty much a one-man band for a while. Okay. Do you foresee going out and playing these tracks on some sort of a tour, or...? Yeah, I'm going to go out uh, right after Thanksgiving here uh, in America. Now, I'm not, I'm not bringing this thing over there. If I do bring it to Europe, it would probably be after Christmas. Right. But I'm going to do, like, three weeks here in the States. Of, it's like a storyteller's setup. Right. Uh, very intimate crowd thing, and I'm going to go through the whole history. I'm going to play stuff from this record. It's not going to be a full band. It's just going to basically be me and Chris Kinder doing percussion and stuff. And I'm going to play to some backing tracks, but I'll do a lot of stuff live as well. But some right. of the songs, I'll have some backing tracks going on. But uh, it's more or less just to tell the whole story and play through this stuff. I'm going to go through a lot of the sabotage 
catalog them on, on play some original versions of songs that people never heard the original versions of that are totally different than what you hear on the albums and uh take it all the way through the jop stuff and uh do a little question and answer and hang out and let people buy me tons of drinks and give me <laughs> and uh have a great time and uh you know it's being uh, the dates are being put together as we speak cool I've read in the past various musicians say that Trans-Siberian Orchestra has allowed them to continue to be musicians or continue to work with the music that they've wanted to work in. How has that project affected your career? Well, it feeds me. <laughs> That's a good start. Right. Well, it's given me, you know, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra thing is great. I think it's great for me because it's, it helps me when I write my own stuff because right. uh, <clears throat> with working with Paul, there's no Trans-Siberian Orchestra is very varied. There's lots of different things, of, lots of different styles of music and uh, a lot of classical stuff going on where we're mixing stuff up. And then when I, you know, when I leave those sessions, which are very long and grueling and uh, horrifying at some in some instances, <laughs> I got everything else is fresh to me when I get away from there. It's kind of like that TSO. I love it, and but it is really like my job. That's my real, my job. This solo record and the JOP stuff and that's fun to me. That's stuff I want to do. That you know, right? TSO pays the bills though. You know, I can't I can't argue with the numbers. So, you know, so that's my job. You know, I go in every day. I I do what I have to do, and and it gives me. I don't tour with them because. If, that gives me the freedom to do JOP and do what I'm doing now. If I toured with them, I'd never have, I'd never be able to do anything, you know. Right. Does it surprise you um, the audience that's attracted by TSO? That you know, a lot of the musicians or the music that's being played to an extent is really, you know, like you're saying, classical uh, metal music in, in, to an extent, and you have a much probably a much older audience than what you would expect that you know some of the other shows well, we actually have a much younger audience and a much older audience our our okay. age group with tso is from eight years old to 80 right so you know you go to a tso show it's like going to ringling brothers you know it's like it's right. the ringling brothers crowd you've got you know uh mom and dad there with their you know who were maybe sabotage fans in the uh, 80s now have their five, six-year-old kids, and they come, and then sometimes they bring their parents. You know, I stand there at the soundboard at the shows I go in utter amazement that I'm watching, like, a 70-year-old grandma with blue hairs, and blue hair, and she's <laughs> like, oh, no, I like this stuff. <laughs> it's like, wow. It really just sabotaged on stage with tuxedos right. and some extra people. You know, that's really, to me, that's what I call it, sabotux. <laughs> there you go. A uh, listener wrote in and had, well, I sent out uh, and asked people to send in a question. I found this to be the most interesting question to ask. So um, what this person, his name is Peter, he's from Pennsylvania, and he wrote in, I know John's biggest influences going into Sabotage were the Beatles, Deep Purple, Queen, and Black Sabbath. However, his voice sounds like... No one from any of those bands or anyone from the metal world. How did he develop his voice? I gargle with rusty razor blades twice a day. <laughs> and uh, 
after it's all bleeding and bloody, I drink a bottle of vodka, and there, there you are. Now, uh, I don't know. I mean, my voice, I never took singing lessons, um, so I just, right. uh, I don't know how it happened. I think it, it really came from not never being able to hear myself when we used to play bars and stuff and clubs. You know, Chris and Chris and Wackles were both deaf, or both, well, Wackles is still deaf because he's still alive. These guys would be at, like, you know, I'd do sound check and everything would be fine. I'd go back to a hotel or something and come back for the show, and I couldn't hear anything I was doing. So in order to hear, I had to, I started, like, screaming, you know, like, I mean, just singing at a loud, much louder volume so I could hear what I was doing. And that's where that weird, that, that really heavy voice started to develop from was really basically just trying to scream over the monitor, you know, over the guitar right. rigs and, and his cymbals, you know. And speaking of originality in your voice and in music, why do you think, and this sort of goes hand in hand with the album, because I do think that the album really takes you on a journey, has a lot of, you know, ups and downs, peaks and valleys, and a lot of newer albums don't do that. It's sort of everything has to be the same flavor and the originality has maybe been lost over the years. Why do you think that's happened? I think people are just, you know, people are just getting bored with bands making the same record over and over again, you know, and, and you're right. Like a lot of the records you buy, it's just one thing from song one to song 10 or 11, however many. And it's really not very different. It's very, and I think right. just after a while you start to go like, Oh, this is great. I love what. Can you guys do anything else? You know, can you right. do anything different? And and you know, I like the fact of bringing the people, like you said, with peaks and valleys. It's important because it keeps your it keeps you uh, focused on it because it's not you're not getting bored because you're hearing the same song basically over and over again with maybe a right. different. This is different. You don't know what's next, so it's kind of like a good movie. You know, you don't want to watch a movie Absolutely. where all the guy does is stand there, stand there at a firing line and just blow people away all all day long. You want to see a chase scene. You want to see a sex scene. You want to see a creepy late night scene where you know the guy. You know what I mean? And so it's, that's yeah. the way I look at it. Is like do a movie. Think about seeing a great movie and how it moves, how it has peaks and valleys, mm -hmm. it has violent sections, it has. Um, mellow sections it has suspenseful sections it has everything i think if you look at it that way it it really makes it a lot easier to to put something like that together on on a cd absolutely where should people go to keep up with what you're doing <laughs> to, to uh. jail <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a John Oliva. What is it? John Oliva dot net. Is that it? John Oliva dot net. And uh, Chris Kinder, my 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 dear comrade, is the painful person who has to look after that site. But he keeps everything updated and when dates will be put out. And uh, that's where to go if you want to know what's going on. Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. So crank it up. <laughs>
the big goof that I am, I've been mispronouncing his last name, or probably not mispronouncing it, just Americanizing it to Oliva. And the way he's pronouncing it is the way that people over here in Spain or in any Latin-based country would pronounce it, which is Oliva. John Oliva. So I apologize for that. What I do want to do is thank Dustin Hardman for making this happen, John for coming on the show, and for just having an absolute blast with him, and you could tell I was laughing throughout the episode, and that was great. You know, sometimes you get people, you talk to them, and it's like talking to a broomstick, basically. So it's great that, you know, he was in a great sense of humor, and that he carried the episode, without a doubt. So I want to thank John for making things so pleasant. How about that? Anyway, I want to remind you guys... Go to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe. Go to Facebook. Go to Twitter. Go to... uh, What else? Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Just go there. And you'll find links to the Twitter, to the Facebook, where you can follow us or leave your comments. Or hell, if you're nice enough, tell your friends to do so. Um, And go to, again, Stitcher or iTunes and leave some comments. Let your friends know what they're missing out. Uh, If you're fans of any of the other podcasts that we talk about, Talking Metal or any of the Cast Iron Ring, uh, you know, uh, podcasts, hell, if you like that stuff, if your friends like that stuff, let them know. There's another great podcast out there called Mars Attacks. Check it out. So... We'd be eternally grateful for you doing so. That's about it. We're going to wrap things up with a classic Sabotage track. And this track, some people may know, some people may not know. It features a late great singer. I almost said Ray Adler. He's a singer of uh, Fate's Warning, who's about to put out an album. No, he's still alive. I'm talking about Ray West. It's Ray West. No, it's not Ray West either, damn it. Ray West was the singer of uh, Spread Eagle. Bunch of different Rays. <laughs> but just not Ray Gillen, damn it. That's the name. This is what happens when you're flying, you know, by the seat of your pants and you're not looking up who you're talking about. You're only, you know, going from memory. And Ray Gillen, I've been thinking about this all day long because I'm a big fan of his work in Badlands. Listen to some Badlands after dropping my kid off at school this morning. And, uh, you know, I I thought, well, we're going to be doing this John Oliva episode, so wouldn't it be cool to play the one track that Ray Gillen does backing vocals for Sabotage? Now, the name of this track, let me pull up the name of the track, actually, because I don't want to mess this up also. Yeah, you know, because I'm going to sort of be inclined to say Strange Ways because of the Kiss track that Megadeth covered years later. But Strange Wings is the track that features Ray Gillen on backing vocals. It comes off of the classic Hall of the Mountain King We're going to play this track and wrap things up with the episode. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks Podcast. (laughs) 
thank you for listening to the Mars Attack podcast. To keep up with the show or go back and check previous podcasts, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash MarsAttacksRadio, on Twitter at MarsAttacks2005 and Google+. For more info, visit the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com.